You're listening to Environmental Investing, the show where we explore market-based approaches to environmental challenges. I'm Aaron Appleton, and on today's show, Electrifying the Planet, how can bringing energy to the world's 1.3 billion unreached people help solve environmental problems and bolster the economy? Nature is the capital upon which all economies and all nations are actually dependent. $7.2 trillion are brought to the United States alone by ocean-related businesses. We have 38 established environmental financial markets. Energy returned on energy investment. The cleaner company had a higher P.E. ratio. On this episode, we have Aniri Patel joining us over the phone from San Francisco, where she's working on a classified project. Aniri is a social entrepreneur and former UN employee focusing on energy access. Her work takes her all around the world with extensive experience in East Africa and South Asia. Aniri has frequently spoken to audiences to discuss energy access in places such as global UN conferences, TEDx talks, universities, embassies, and in articles in the Huffington Post. Today we'll be focusing on one of Aniri's many projects, her organization that brings electricity to rural areas in Uganda. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Aaron. To start things off, I'd love for you to give a brief overview of the work that you're involved in. Probably for the past seven years or so, I've been working on energy access. And what that means is there's this huge problem now where many people in the world don't have access to reliable electricity or modern fuels for cooking. So I've been working on both the cooking and lighting side of things. Currently, I um, have started a nonprofit called InVenture which is focused on training and coaching rural entrepreneurs in Uganda that have already started nonprofits but need some help and assistance in developing social enterprises. And we're working with them to develop clean energy storefronts where they can sell some of these technologies to the local communities. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Like, how did you first get interested in this work and what led you to where you are now? So when I was in college, I knew I was interested in environmental issues, but not specifically in which direction, whether it was water, whether it was energy, climate. And I was visiting my family in India, and my uncle's terrace, uh, when we were all hanging out on top, I looked out and saw that every single house in his neighborhood had a solar thermal water heater. And I thought that was really cool. This was 2005. And I was thinking, wow, if all of India had solar water thermal heaters, imagine what kind of an offset, climate offset that would have. And then I started thinking about developing countries and how they could use cleaner technologies to leapfrog the ways that industrialized nations have procured energy and how that can actually make a big transition towards a more sustainable world and also pioneering renewable energy in developing countries, which is kind of the next frontier. So that that was my interest, and I developed my thesis in college on this specific topic, focused on India, and ever since became really hooked. And um, I think I was really lucky at the time as well, because this was a bit of a nascent issue when I was in college, but I basically had entered the space right when it was starting to grow. 
So uh, when I was in college, there was like no jobs. Nobody was working on energy access. But as soon as I graduated, I saw that there was a big momentum for some private sector, a lot of startups looking at you know, off-grid lighting devices and modern cooking devices. And then new alliances propped up. The United Nations Foundation created a globalized clean cook stove. Then um, the UN itself created a sustainable energy for all initiative. And now there's a ton of momentum and a lot of uh, players are looking specifically at energy access. So my story is uh, <laughs> I entered this space at the right time and then through that have been able to gain more and more opportunities in this space to really grow and understand the issues. So was there a particular moment in your life that you can pinpoint when you first developed a passion for environmental issues? My interest in environmental issues stem from my culture. Of, my family is Jane, and in this religion, we believe in fully in nonviolence, and sustainability is part of that. I've always had a strong interest in environment growing up, but I would say in terms of energy access, it really wasn't until when I was in Bangladesh, actually, um, working with a group called Grameen Shakti, um, which has brought more solar home systems to people than any other organization in the world currently. And they have trained a lot of women uh, to work on solar installations. So when I was meeting these women engineers who were illiterate and poor in these rural communities, I realized you know, energy access is not just about putting electrons in people's homes. It's really about empowering communities, empowering women, and allowing uh, rural communities to thrive. And that's when I became really interested in this issue. Can you expand more on the connection between energy access and the environment? You mentioned that energy access can help to develop local economies, but would there be any negative externalities on the environment? Or could this help to overcome different environmental problems? Yeah, I think this can definitely overcome environmental problems in two real ways. First, when I was describing the scenario of like my uncle's rooftop and seeing everyone switching to solar, I think that's going to be a major carbon offset in the future because a lot of the emissions are going to come from people who currently don't have access to electricity getting access to electricity and creating emissions and then earning more income as people, as population grows, as people's lives get longer, the energy constraints in the modern world is just going to get worse. Helping to shift uh, over a billion people towards renewable forms of energy is going to be a significant carbon offset. The second way is um, through uh, modern forms of cooking. About 2 billion people in the world use traditional methods of cooking, which is three-stone fires and charcoal stoves, uh, cutting down trees. And it's a huge deforestation problem. I know in Uganda, current estimates are that it's going to be deforested by 2050 at the current rate of population. And switching them to modern forms of cooking will help alleviate some of those forestry concerns. So those are kind of the two biggest places, I'd say, that energy access touches. I know you've traveled extensively outside of both Uganda and India. And based on these international experiences, what markets or geographical regions do you think hold some of the most promising opportunities for environmental investing over, say, the next 10 years? I won't speak on environmental investing as a whole, but I can speak on energy access. I mean, East Africa is definitely thriving. You see a lot of investment going there, a lot of startups, a lot of companies that are doing really well. You see that a little bit in West Africa as well, like Ghana especially is attracting a lot of foreign investment for energy access. In 
South Asia, it's a little different because you see more domestic companies that are really rising and also getting capital domestically as well. So some of the Indian venture capitalists are starting to look at energy access companies in India. The money doesn't have to be sought from abroad. Those are probably the most appealing markets for investors right now because of the current policies in place nationally that opens up investment from overseas. There are a lot of countries that clearly need energy access but are not getting that kind of investment just because their policies are pretty weak. For example, Democratic Republic of Congo has huge energy access issues, but it has um, extremely high import tariffs and it also um, has a pretty high tax as well for solar, which makes it a little bit prohibitive for solar companies to be developed and enter that country. So yeah, so working with countries that have the right policy frameworks where um, investment can grow is going to be important. So thinking about your unique experiences in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, I'd love to hear your perspective on what you think should be the role of governments versus the role of markets versus the role of civil society in solving environmental problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really like this question because it kind of shows how different energy access, or I should say rural electrification, is going to be in developing countries versus um, industrialized nations. Because, for example, in the U.S., it was all state-driven utilities, FDR, putting in place the policies to really expand energy to rural parts of the country. Unfortunately, you're not seeing that happen in developing countries, and there's a number of reasons for that. What's clear is that the state is not going to provide electricity to its rural populations anytime soon. What you see now is, yes, there's definitely a role for governments to play, and that's going to be really encouraging the private sector to enable them to deliver um, energy to these rural parts so that when governments do want to extend grid lines and create power uh, plants for these communities, that there's already an infrastructure there in place so that people can utilize the uh, real energy that they've already been getting and use it in, in alignment with the grid. So there are futuristic models at play right now that I don't think the private sector should compete with the government. I think you should work with the government so that you know future plans can be assured both from the government side and from private sector. And I think the key role for civil society and nonprofits is looking at ways to enable local communities to understand more about the problem of energy access. So sensitizing these communities and also educating communities as to why clean energy is important. So there's a role for all three sectors to play. And I think when all three work together on this issue, amazing things can happen. I feel that the work you're doing with energy access is so distinctive and unique. Can you think of a specific book, article, or film that's most inspired you to pursue the path that you're on now? Yeah, um, I was on this path already when I read this book, but I actually think it's an extremely well thought out and well written book on how people can tackle energy access, and that's called um, Green Business for a Billion Poor by Nancy Wimmer. And what this book is, is it's basically a step-by-step guide on Grameen Shakti, which is a company in Bangladesh that has brought power to over a million households in Bangladesh, how they did it. It's their, basically, it's a life story of Grameen Shakti. 
and she basically created that guide so that any other company or person who's interested in building models that can scale can use this and see what worked in Bangladesh and you know what could be tailored to other places in the world. Yeah, I think that's it's a great book and it's one I would recommend. Excellent. So on each episode, we have a special segment called the Environmental Audio Challenge. And for this segment, our featured guest gives a fun challenge for our listeners to respond to. But first, let's hear our top response from last episode's Environmental Audio Challenge. This comes from Teresa, a listener from Manhattan who's responding to the challenge to come up with an idea for an environmentally focused project that might work in a village setting like the one Kyle and IU described in the last episode. Hi, uh, my name is Teresa. I am calling in from New York, New York, and uh, I have an idea about a green space. I lived in northern Somalia for a year, and living there and other places that I've lived and visited, I realized that there was a lack of public green space for women. And so one thing that I've always wanted to do um, is either go back to Hargeisa or perhaps uh, work with a different community, get their input, and work on developing like an open green space where women can go and be comfortable outside. I've seen where, where there have been women-only restaurants, and they seem to have been very successful and very appreciated by women in the community, and just being able to have a place outside. All right, back to Aniri. Do you have an environmental audio challenge that you'd like to give to our listeners? I do. So um, I had this question in my head, and I realized it wasn't as easy to Google as I had thought. The, qu- the question is, how many countries are 100% powered by renewable energy? Or in which countries are those? All right. To respond to Aniri's environmental audio challenge, please call our number at 415-887-2367 and leave a message with your response. Responses and the correct answer will air on the next episode, so stay tuned. All right, thank you very much, Aniri, for joining us. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to delve into all these topics and enlighten all of us a little more. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Environmental Investing. You can go to environmentalinvesting.com to find the links from this episode's show notes, as well as back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. And now, a message from this episode's featured musical guest. Today's music is brought to you by the Hot Rocks. My name is Eric Kreuter. I play guitar and I sing, along with my other buddies, Chad, Jason, and Topher.
fear. 